0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Thanks for being with us today. Today we're going to talk about retail and retail real estate. We'll cover sector performance, including occupancy, rental rates, and cap rates. We'll look into the commercial real estate show's crystal ball and see what we should expect to see moving forward in this sector. Then we'll share some successful strategies for both landlords and some for tenants. Please welcome my first guest, Dan Fasulo, Managing Director with Real Capital Analytics. Dan, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Michael.
0: Well, Dan, retail has has kind of been the trailing asset class. It seemed, as far as popularity with investors, but interest seems to really have kicked up, uh, and it seems like it's picking up more all the time in our shop. What have you seen for transaction volume for retail so far in 2014, and, and how is it trending?
1: Well, retail is certainly not trailing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Real Capital Analytics tracked about 37 billion worth of retail property sales in, in the first half of this year, um, that's up 57% Wow! over the same time period in, in 2013. Um, and it is the, the, the best performing sector by that metric uh,
0: at this point. Well, that's amazing. So has that trend been the, over the last few years or, you know, when did that start?
1: You, you know, uh, multifamily and and to a lesser extent CBD office properties uh really led us out of the uh, out of the recovery. Um investor interest has been extremely strong for those those property sectors. Um, you know driving, you know cap rates very low, uh, especially for multifamily. And and over the past couple of years the that wide yield spread that opened up between kind of multifamily and other sectors like retail and industrial has really attracted Uh, capital to the retail space Um, and um, you know investors have been gobbling up you know uh, uh, anchored centers uh, across the country now.
0: That's great and I know industrial's been hot too so you know where where is retail in the volume for these other asset classes and uh, put it in perspective uh, a little bit is, is retail way ahead in volume this year?
1: Well you know, a multi-family, you know, and office properties, just because they're larger, you know, sometimes the dollar amounts get, get bigger. Uh, but to give you some context, over the, over the past, you know, 12 months, you know, we've tracked just under 80 billion worth of retail property sales. That that's just under where we were at, at the peak uh, in 2007. You know, we maybe did 90 billion over a 12-month period. So as far as transactional activity, you know, we're, we're kind of back to where we were.
0: Well, that's good news. And so what's that doing to cap rates in the world of retail?
1: Well, obviously, as as, as capital has flown, flowed into the sector, it's really driven uh, cap rates down once again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the biggest compression has been in the, the major markets, mm-hmm. you know, your uh you know your 66 six metros, as we call them, you know Boston, New York, D.C., um, L.A., San Francisco, Chicago. Um, you know lately some of your kind of top tier uh, secondary markets. I'd put Atlanta in that camp, the Texas markets. You know even places like Denver uh, and, and Phoenix have seen significant cap rate compression as you know capitals chasing those 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 yields wherever they can get them right now.
0: Yeah, well, that that explains why we're seeing more activity down here in the uh, southeast and some of these cities. So, what are some example uh, cap rates for say for malls or for uh, retail strip centers and things?
1: You know, for your your, your fortress type malls, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen ultra low cap rates. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, uh, certainly um, hitting anything we saw uh, during the last peak. You know, five percent or lower mm-hmm. for your. Um, um, you know, premier assets. Um, you know, nationwide, um, your average strip center is, is trading at around a seven cap. Uh, obviously, that that varies greatly depending on on where you are in the country. Um, where we've also seen kind of significant uh, cap rate compression is has been in uh, urban retail, um, which you know we'll, we've seen a a corresponding explosion in. And rents and, and demand from luxury retailers in certain uh, environments around the country, and it's, it's, investor o- optimism is off the, the charts for certain types of urban retail right now.
0: Well, that makes sense too, with all the uh, apartments going in and some of the urban areas of the major cities. And we're talking with Dan Fasulo with Real Capital Analytics about retail real estate. And, and Dan, what do you expect for retail sector cap rates moving forward? Do you expect slightly more compression or, or might rising interest rates affect that? What do you see moving forward?
1: You know, go- going forward, it's going to be a battle between improving fundamentals and rising interest rates. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm not sure who's going to win. <laughs> uh, I, I, I personally would be a little nervous um, with um, uh, an asset where the income was w- was locked in over the long term, uh, where you'd basically be at the mercy of, of of rising interest rates, and it could negatively impact the value of your property. Um, so, I, you know, I'm certainly um, advising you know some of my clients to you know to look for a little upside. Uh, to, to capture um, you know, some of the improvements in rents and occupancies that we're starting to see around the country.
0: Well, I think that's good advice. What's the old saying that uh, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered? It might be a good time to sell some of these assets. So what do you think about uh, the sentiment of people in these institutions investing in retail and how they look at other asset classes? You get to talk to these investors all the time. What do they tell you about retail right now?
1: You know, at the institutional level, you know commercial real estate in general general is 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 a value play versus the other asset classes you know uh you know as real real estate folks you know we you know we kind of gasp when we see these ultra low cap rates but when you when you're working with a pool of money that's that's looking at the the bond markets you know our our yields look really attractive mm-hmm. um and you know institutions understand retail properties and the uh, the nature of the credit that occupies these properties um, it's pretty intuitive um, you know, you know uh, there's a lot of you know kind of publicly listed retailers um, uh, that, that have a track record in a you know uh, um, you know a corporate bond uh profile that that people can digest um, so you know institutional interest in retail properties has come back significantly um and you know, we see a lot of localized uh, owners taking advantage of that right now and, you know, selling either full or partial stakes in, in certain assets that appeal to that crowd.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then you also have a kind of a lack of new supply going on, right? Uh, I mean, new construction of retail hasn't really ramped up to the good old days, has it?
1: It's the under part of the, the story, Michael. You know, the last kind of five years at this point, you know, away from the downturn, um, there's been, you know, at least on a uh, on a macro basis, uh, a, a historically low level of new supply added to the market. Um, and you know, as you know, we have seen a pickup in the economy, and, and retailers' balance sheets are back in order, and many are starting to expand again. You know, it, it really is a is a good uh, a. A good indicator that we could see some some rental growth you know you know that said there are certain markets that, that always make me a little nervous mm-hmm. um, um, but I especially in the supply constrained markets I really think we could be moving into a, a period where fundamentals grow pretty uh, pretty strongly
0: okay so from what you're hearing from investors they feel pretty comfortable about a rise in in, in rental rates in most of the markets and and also uh, with increased occupancy right
1: yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's going to mirror the improvement in the, the economy.
0: Okay. And talk to us about the debt market and CMBS. How is that affecting retail real estate?
1: Well, the availability of, of, of debt is a big driver in mm-hmm. transaction activity, recapitalizations, mm-hmm. And it, there's, there's no question that lenders have become more willing to lend uh, in, in secondary geographies for, you know, non-core properties. And, you know, the ability to, to borrow is helping to, you know, you know drive sales activity right now, um, especially the, the CMBS market has been very helpful in, uh, um, in, in secondary markets around the country.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's good news. Well, Dan, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Michael. If you like more from uh, Dan Fasulo and Real Capital Analytics, visit rcanalytics.com. They provide great information on investment sales throughout the uh, country and in other countries. Well, stay with us. We're going to have more on retail and retail real estate, including some strategies for landlords and tenants. And we'll look closer at malls. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest, Mitch Rochelle. He's a partner and national real estate advisory leader with PwC. Mitch, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks, Michael. Wish I could be in sunny Atlanta, but I'm in rainy New York.
0: <laughs> That's all right. It's good to have you here on Skype. And Mitch, I'd like to ask you a little bit about Malls. You know, I, I, we see that there's a lot of dead malls, but then we see a lot of malls that just seem to be doing crazy well that are just packed and the rents are extremely high. Are people still going to malls? I mean, I know my daughter wants to go. I, I don't like going to malls personally. Uh, my daughter loves it. Are people still going to malls?
2: well let's not talk about the rochelle family because even including our dog with the of my wife we're all boys so yeah. <laughs> uh the malls are only important when the newest sneaker comes out and that's when my kids get interested but yeah. um what's interesting is the icse has really interesting data so if you look at mall shopping behavior in particular visits to malls uh what we're seeing is we've gotten sort of back up to what i'll call pre-recession levels in terms of foot traffic in malls, okay. but what's interesting, and I think this is where the internet, and appropriately I'm doing this by Skype, but this is where uh, e-shopping is sort of taking over. The amount of time that people spend in malls is on the downswing. Right? So I think uh, shoppers are going, uh, but they're more efficient when they're there. And I think what's happening to the retail landscape is it's changing quite a bit, where Part of the shopping experience is the showroom effect Mm -hmm. uh, and some of the sales may be rung up online and not necessarily in the mall box itself.
0: I see. And might they be a little more frugal after going through a recession? It seems like at least some people I talk to, not my wife and daughter, but mind you, but some people are a little more frugal when it comes to shopping. What do you think there? Is that that affecting the mall uh, traffic and the amount of money they're spending?
2: I think uh, if you look at retail sales in the box, I think that they're clearly trailing behind and from a growth trajectory perspective, the retail sales of online. Um, so it's hard to say on a per capita basis whether or not uh, Americans are more frugal. I think where they're shopping has certainly changed. But if you look at the retail sales numbers came out uh, you know, this week, um, they, they're slow and they're very tied to um, consumer sentiment, and they're very tied to the worries that still remain about some of the uncertainty uh, geopolitically uh, with our own economy and the like. So I think you're finding that, by and large, shoppers are a little more cautious and, in fact, a little bit more frugal.
0: Okay. And if you're uh, listening to this on, on one of our radio stations around the country or on iTunes, if you go to our show website, well, we're going to have some, some graphs that are very interesting on what we're talking about today. And of course, if you're watching the video, you're seeing them. And, and Mitch, where are people spending when they go to the malls? You know, Where are they spending their money? Is this on uh, food, entertainment, clothes? Where, what are they buying?
2: You know, the mall itself, so if you take the retail segment and you break it down between malls, power centers, and strip centers, if we focus on mall for a second, the mall has become an entertainment complex, and it's not just exclusively a shopping experience. So if you took it, take a look at total mall sales, while they're recovering, they're not nearly recovering the way entertainment mall sales are. So the malls function in our economy, the malls function in our sort of broader American lifestyle is really one of entertainment. So I think that the outperforming malls are the ones that provide an entertainment experience. And that could be movies, that could be food, that could be just socializing. But the ones that have sort of that entertainment feel um, are the ones that are gonna do well from a revenue perspective.
0: Okay. And it's a little bit of the haves and have-nots, right? Like we talked about in the uh, intro, a lot of malls are doing extremely well and and some just are dying and and need to be torn down and be other uses, right?
2: Yeah. um, You know, one of your frequent guests and uh, a colleague uh, from Reese always says that the mall population is a little overbuilt, but more importantly, under-demolished. And uh, so there's really haves and have-nots. There's what I'll call Obsolete malls, mm-hmm. um, and the obsolete malls are the ones that, uh, and we have a chart on it. So unfortunately, those listening won't see it. So, you know, so Michael said, go to the go to the website and see the slides. But where you have four more years of vacancy over thirty percent, that cohort or population of malls is growing. Okay, and the vacancy rate in those. Uh, centers is growing. The viable malls, which are the ones that have a much better occupancy level, those are sustaining themselves. And in fact, in that population of malls, the availability rate or the occupancy rate is uh, is improving. So what you'll what you'll find is that it's haves and have-nots. That could be geography. Uh, the thing that people often forget about with real estate is the you know the three L's: location, location, location. So some of them. We're built in a path of growth that's no longer the path of growth, or some of them were built in a market that just isn't there yet, or the, the demographics and economics of the market aren't there. So I think we have sort of haves and have-nots, and uh, the haves are doing well, and sadly, the have-nots are not.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a good point. And uh, we had Sim Dowdy on the show last week, who's a an industrial broker who's who sold a, a large mall recently that was, has been redeveloped and, uh, you know, it's going to have some multifamily but mostly industrial. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that was helpful there is making sure that the people who lived in that market uh, and the political leaders of that market understood that this is not going to be a mall, guys. If you're going to try to make this a mall, uh, it's going it's to sit here and be a blight on your area for a long time.
2: Well, what's interesting is the repurposing of malls. The first generation of repurposing of malls was to take uh, a power center that had a big box where that retailer was gone forever, they filed bankruptcy, they liquidated, and turning it into laser tag centers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because you had the parking and it was in the right um, neighborhood and there was enough. Uh, vehicle traffic and the ingress and egress was good, but what's happening now is they're be re, being repositioned from a distribution perspective um, and industrial uses are highly logical if the ingress and egress is good for that mall. Because don't forget, what's interesting, in more, more the power center than the mall, but um, if they, the property is built where people live and people are opting to shop online versus shop in a box, what people are going to do is want those goods quickly, so there's no reason why you couldn't use um, the former big box as a distribution facility if it's got the right bays for online retail.
0: Yeah, so. that's a good point, and if you're a political leader in an area with a dead mall, you know, these aren't smokestacks and you know really uh, tough industrial uses. These are light industrial that... Uh, uh, can bring in a lot of employment as well. And then, and then you talked about the malls that are, are really doing well. So there's still a lot of uh, tenants that are really looking to get in some of these malls that are doing really well, right?
2: And the, some, of the, some of the malls are doing well. Tenants just can't get into them. Yeah. Uh, and some of the tenants that are in there are expanding. Or when a, when a location opens up, that could be a B location in an A mall not to get too alphabet soup with you here, you'll find uh, that tenants just move around the, the mall because of where the foot traffic really is. So what that's creating is the high occupancy level and the high rent growth in the A malls are creating some opportunities for tenants to move into the more viable B and C malls. And those are not necessarily B and C malls from a, um, a performance perspective. It's maybe just uh, they're, they're not located as well. So we've got movement inside the mall with A spaces and B spaces and C spaces and then actually the secondary malls that are in markets that are doing okay. And the tenants are saying, well, if I can't get that spot in the the premier mall, I'm going to go to the secondary one. So okay. the, all of this, I think, is good for the retail asset class.
0: Yeah, well, good point. We're going to have to take a short break here. When we get back, we'll have more from Mitch Rochelle with PwC. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. With FIU's Fast Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show, where we always have fun. And today we're talking about retail and retail real estate, and we have Mitch Rochelle, partner with National Real Estate Advisory Leader with PWC. And uh, Mitch, you know, retail has been a little slow to recover when you consider, you know, the other sectors, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, what's interesting is we have a tool we refer to as the Real Estate Barometer and for those of you following along uh, with pictures, this is a really colorful graph, but if you look, we look at the four wedges of the, the cycle from recession, recovery, expansion, and contraction, and uh, if you compare retail to apartments, which were the quickest to recover, um, office, which came second, and then an industrial that, in some respects shot past both, um, retail's still lagging behind, but historically, if you've looked at retail Um, and it's booms and busts, you found that local capital that gets aggregated to buy a piece of real estate in the last 50 years has went out and bought retail. So uh, the chasing of the real estate uh, investment dream has found capital landing in retail, retail getting overbuilt and uh, taking a long time to digest that oversupply. So that recovery has been slow Uh, from a cyclical perspective, but I think there's more tailwinds than there are headwinds for the asset class.
0: And that slow growth, uh, do you think that's healthy for the market?
2: Uh, I I personally think, and I know it's a bit of an outrageous view in the eyes of some, but I think if you look at real estate more broadly and holistically, the slow recovery of the U.S. economy has prevented history from repeating itself, which is us throwing capital at and overbuilding the real estate asset class. So um, since retail was the the last to recover, it was the last to get new capital dollars too. So I think that it hasn't been overbuilt. It's given us more opportunity and time to digest some of that oversupply. And as we spoke about in the previous segment, repurpose some of that oversupply. Mm -hmm. So I think it's been good. And I think if you look at cap rates, there's a correlation between that slow recovery and the very slow precipitous sort of compression in retail cap rates.
0: Yeah, I mean you'd rather have a steady growth than, than boom and bust, right? And and let's talk about cap rates. So you know, what do you see for cap rates for some of these different types of uh, retail properties?
2: So if you look at the the post recessionary period, mm-hmm. cap rates in retail fell largely because cap rates in real estate was falling and interest rates were falling. And real estate was becoming, uh, again, a viable alternative asset class. So capital found its way across all of the real estate food groups. Um, And then as retail became the place where investors started to look when they couldn't uh, find yields on apartment deals. And if you go back two years ago, the, the allocation of wealth and capital to the real estate asset class was all a big yield chase. So when you couldn't get the yield on apartments and you couldn't get the yield on CBD office and you, you, you certainly couldn't get it in industrial because industrial became the, 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 the favorite child for a while and still is I think, uh, retail became the happy recipient of capital flows coming back into real estate which caused cap rate compression. The value creation though was largely as a result of cap rate compression and not NOI growth and not rent growth. So I think we're actually in a healthy period right now where the survey we do four times a year, the PWC Real Estate Investor Survey, has seen in the last four quarters a flattening of cap rates, which means no more compression so that the value creation that we're actually seeing in the marketplace is more about cash flow growth than it is cap rate compression. And the cap rates for uh, regional malls are, you know, 658, power centers 665 and strip centers just around 7 at 7.09. So, I think that on a risk-adjusted basis, that's a fairly healthy return, uh, considering the risk in the asset class. But the fact that that cap rate compression is stabilized is actually really a good thing for the investors that want to um, play in the space.
0: So, you think that you're seeing cap rates that have been pretty stable then over the last several quarters?
2: Yeah, cap rate compression, just as a market observer mm-hmm. and somebody who advises clients in, in acquisitions and dispositions, cap rate compression often scares me mm-hmm. because it smells like bubble, right? Because right. yields are going down for no apparent reason. Uh, the economy just isn't growing fast enough to support it. Job growth isn't strong enough to support it. And it's just supply and demand of capital. I think the supply and demand of capital is actually healthy. Um, but I think the fact of the matter is, that investors just want to keep the price where it is and are pushing back on uh, on yields going too low, which is good for uh, for, for everybody. Yeah. The sellers may not love it, but I think in the long run it's going to be good for the asset class.
0: Yeah, and it's a good point. And if you have uh, rental rates increasing and you have occupancy increasing across the board, you're still getting improvements in value You know, without really uh, affecting cap rates. Well, Mitch, thanks for joining us today. We sure appreciate you uh, talking to us today and being with us on Skype.
2: Absolutely, Michael. And dis- just so that everybody remembers, I was actually your first Skype guest. So I'm That's thrilled right.
0: to be back. All right, Mitch. Thank you. And stay with us. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, we'll talk about some trends and some strategies for landlords. And we'll also talk about some success strategies for tenants. I'm Michael Bull. This is The Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit FranceMediaInc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull, and we're talking about retail and retail real estate. I'd like to welcome our newest affiliate in Orlando. If you're in Orlando, uh, check out WRSO AM 810 and FM 93.1 every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Well, like I said, today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest via Skype is John Crossman. John is president of Crossman & Company. Uh, They do retail uh, leasing and sales and tenant rep throughout the southeast. John is also a very active member of ICSC. John, thanks for joining us today.
3: Well, thanks for having me, Michael. It's
0: a pleasure. Well, we appreciate you uh, being here on uh, Skype. And, um, you know, John, securing uh, the best tenants and, and reaching the right prospects is always important to retail landlords, so let's start our discussion today talking about some strategies for landlords to consider in the current market. And the first thing is, what are some tips that you would give retail landlords to get retailers' interest in the first place about a property?
3: Sure. Well, let me say something big picture. And just to point out, we actually don't do any tenant rep. We only represent landlords. And so and our landlords are overwhelmingly uh, retail landlords. And I, I would take it a little bit bigger than your question, if it's okay to open up with this. And that is, um, you know, it used to be about talking about mixed use developments. And I think that as we look at the, the future of the market, it's going to be about mixed uses in developments. And so what do I mean by that? Well, First off, there's traditional uh, ways that we need to go after retailers, and we can talk about that. Having said that, I don't think there's going to be enough retail to fill all the vacancies and all the centers we see across the country, particularly bigger centers like malls, and we can see the downsizing of big box tenants. So with that in mind, we have to have equal strategies that are aggressive. Going to unique in different categories, and so what that looks like is uh, office tenants. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm the NAAP chapter president for Orlando this year, and people ask why is retail do?" doing that's doing it. I'm doing it because I want to make sure the office tenant brokers of the world are aware of us because we have a pull some tenants for simple office location in retail. We're really plugged into medical uh, because we found that medical can go really well inside of retail. We're very plugged in with government. Uh, we've seen government uses go well. Uh, gyms and fitness centers, which used to be something you would never see going to retail center, we're having that happen now. And then finally, is religious uses. Uh, churches and uh, church pseudo church related organizations have come into centers and done really well. Have been very impactful. Um, and so a lot of those categories I just told you that yeah, wasn't long ago they were forbidden from retail projects, but they've been very very helpful. Um, let, let me pause. Do you have any comments or questions on that?
0: Well, yeah. So if you decide that. Uh say a particular retail tenant is a great uh, tenant for your for your property, how do you reach out to them and get their attention initially?
3: Well the initial way you do it, I believe, is you need to tell a story and you need to tell a story that gives facts and that helps that retailer understand uh, that they're going to do high volumes in that location, okay? Uh, It's not simply just, you know, send them a flyer or send them a site plan. You need to be very very detailed uh, and you're going to have higher levels of success with more information. So if you send them the basics on the site, that's great. But you go a step further and you map out all of their existing sites in the market and all their competitor sites, and then you show that that's a gap in the market, that's absolutely key. If you're able to share with them uh, tenant sales, uh, even if it's just an average range of what's in the property, that's key. If you can tell a story about, you know, there's two things you like to look at. Is, is there market growth? or can you gain market share? Okay, so if you're showing a retailer that, you know, there is, you know, 500 apartment units under construction and that target matches that retailer and you can explain that, that's great. If you can explain that they could get market share, that a, that a uh, place where people are shopping heavily with above average sales is 10 miles away and this site is 2 miles away, then you could say, hey, you could reasonably take 10 to 20 percent or maybe more of those sales and pull them into your center. So I think that a lot of times what people are doing is they they try to do fast networking, just sending stuff out, where where I'm more about is let's tell a very complete, full story that gives them as much information as they can, uh, that helps to make a decision quickly and that helps give them the data they need. Retailers are all about volume. They need to know when they go in that location, it's going to go well. And if you don't mind, I'll take it one step further. I think that the best landlords are doing things where they're showing retailers, how they're going to help them improve their sales, and what I mean by that is marketing events, uh, uh, doing PR for the properties, doing things to help you know juice their sales their first week and juice their sales along, and, and seeing them as a partner. And I think that the times of owning a property and just letting tenant just sit there and do their own thing, particularly in large projects, that's uh, those days are gone. There has to be a real partnership there with retailers.
0: Okay, that's are excellent points, uh, John. And we're talking with John Crossman with Crossman & Company about uh, strategies for landlords to pick up more tenants. And when it comes to leases and lease terms, John, what are some uh, things in leases and offers that landlords might want to consider today to secure good tenants?
3: Well, I think that certainly being uh, flexible. I mean, obviously with the lease, you need to protect yourself, uh, but I think there's other ways that you try to be flexible and work with the tenant. Um, I've sometimes seen landlords take a position of like, take it or leave it. This is our, our landlord lease, and we're not going to make any adjustments with that. And um, I certainly understand that because it makes things easier. But I do think there's sometimes that you can. You need to be flexible, be able to work with people. And that goes to having make sure you have the right legal team. You either if it's in-house or you, you have outsourced uh, an attorney. Make sure you have one that's a very experienced, focused real estate attorney and that they're a deal attorney, that they're really trying to work hard and that then being able to get it along with the counsel on the other side to make things happen is is absolutely crucial. Um, and the little bit of money you may spend on an attorney, and, and a little bit shouldn't it shouldn't be a whole lot because you know it's a limited amount of time needed. It's far worth it to make sure you get the right language in there that works for both sides.
0: Yeah, those are great points and being flexible is key. So if you get the right tenant that's the right mix for that, for that property that you can secure them and yeah, you've got to have good counsel. And one of the mistakes I've seen there is that uh, they have an attorney they use for something else and it's not retail real estate, they've got the wrong guy. We're going to take a short break here. We're going to have more from John Crossman on retail and retail real estate. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com or call 888 888- 888 612-SHOW. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Remember, if you have any questions or comments about this show or any commercial real estate related topic, reach out to us through commercialrealestateshow.com. Today my guest is John Crossman with Crossman & Company. And, And John, you know, the selection process for securing the best location and getting the optimum lease terms is is really important to retail tenants so let's discuss the top mistakes that retail tenants should avoid when uh, when they're looking for new space what's number one
3: number one is picking the right team okay so obviously you have to have a good internal site person uh you have to have a good legal person obviously you can work through the documents thing like that the, but the crucial crucial part is are you going to use tenant rep brokers and if you are, picking the right tenant rep firm. And remember, I don't do this, so I'm not, I'm not biased to anybody, I'm just saying this is a statement. And this is the most crucial thing. I have uh, seen in emails, I've heard said over my 20 plus years, different tenant rep brokers saying, if I don't get paid enough, I take my tenants to other centers, mm-hmm. okay? And you know it's not that they're not getting paid, it's that they're not getting paid enough. Yeah. Uh, and that's really pervasive in the industry. And so if I'm a retailer and I'm, I'm selecting a tenant broker, if I were to find out that that broker was not showing deals because the, the broker wasn't getting compensated enough, that would be a big problem. Um, and so I would address it up front. I would address it up front. I would make sure that the tenant broker explains what they're getting paid, what they expect to get paid. If the tenant broker is working a deal and, and they're, not, they're not getting paid enough... Put some money in that deal and make sure they are getting paid.
0: You know, uh, and, and I, I, but and I would I've, wipe that
3: out pretty quick. And
0: I've heard that same thing, John. Let's talk about that a moment. So, you know, these tenant reps are making a a living uh, doing what they do. And if a landlord doesn't have enough of a fee out there for tenant rep, they might lose some tenants. What are you seeing as uh, common in the centers that you're working with uh, around the the southeast is where you primarily work, right? What are you seeing? Is is it a dollar per square foot and or is it first month's rent and a percentage and how much is typically offered to tenant reps or what should be?
3: Well, what's what's funny is it completely varies, um, and it completely varies for a lot of reasons because it varies on the deals, right? I mean, there's smaller markets that pay percentage, uh, and then you get markets like Miami where a deal might be fifty dollars a square foot, and so percentage might make it, you know, way, too, you know, too high. Um, but I think that you know, bottom line is when you see so many times it's greed. You know, I think that the, you can certainly get to a point where everyone can agree on a fair price. Um, the way our firm works is. We have a commission set in every center that uh, includes a co fee, and we and we split it 50/50. They get the same thing that we get, so we're, we're, we're equal in that situation. Uh, it just concerns me when I see brokers that are just asking. They, it's like like blackmail, and it's funny because like we're the ones paying. You know, our client is paying them for some of this work. So um, I, I I definitely know some wonderful, tremendous tenant brokers that have helped many, many, many retailers. And I've seen many that have, that have done them wrong. And, I, and I, sometimes I think they're not aware of it. Sometimes I think that they may be aware of it, but their boss is not aware of it. Uh, but I really think there needs to be an open conversation. And not just accept, hey, industry standard is the broker just gets paid by, by the landlord. Uh and instead really make sure that's up front, it's on the table and everybody understands it. Well that's and, a- and there's a way to be a win win but that that is the number one issue that I would be concerned about for ten rep
0: brokers. Well I agree and that's a good point and you know what I think it might be a good practice there uh, and one that we would use is that if we expect a certain minimum fee and the landlord or the landlord rep's not offering it, then we don't want the tenant to miss a property. We present the property and let them know how much more fee that they'll have to add to us. And John, we're out of time here. Great information. Thanks for joining us today.
3: It's my honor, my pleasure, anytime. Uh, glad to be with you, Michael. Thank right.
0: you. If you'd like more information from John, visit John, uh, Crossman Co. CrossmanCo.com. And, uh, well, you have to join us next week. We're going to have a show on auctions. You know, the auction business for commercial real estate has really changed with online auctions and multiple property auctions. So join us next week. Thanks for joining us today. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Florida International University. Earn your Commercial Real Estate Master's Degree in as little as 10 months. Visit FIUonline.com. And Bull Realty Commercial Brokers, a great place to do business. Visit BullRealty.com. And France Media Publications and Conferences. For exposure to the world of commercial real estate, visit FranceMediaInc.com.